Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, December the 8th. Let me get right to introducing you to this week's panel. We have Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, along with Marianne Goodland, chief legislative reporter at Colorado Politics, Jesse Paul, political reporter at Colorado Sun, and Luigi Del Puerto, editor at Colorado Politics and the Denver Gazette. Welcome to you all. This time of year, downtown Denver is a place where people gather for the holiday season and the Parade of Lights was last weekend. And while some of those traditions are merrily playing out downtown also was a scene of protest last weekend outside the convention center and then earlier this week another busload of migrants arrived in denver all while patty the johnson administration is desperately working hard to house as many of those people who are living on the streets as possible in fact yesterday the johnston administration did clear out another encampment they'd already warned them 21st and Curtis, 20th and Curtis, right around the U.S. Post Office. And there had already been a suite there November 1st. They did move about 150 people into a motel. But that is a drop in the bucket now, considering the Johnston administration is trying to get 1,000 people into housing by the 1st of January. And those are people who are not the migrants. They also have to worry about housing the migrants. It was exactly a year ago that suddenly the influx started, or we noticed the influx was coming because there were three buses that just kind of dumped people, basically what happened on Monday at the Colorado State Capitol. And housing migrants is also a very different issue than dealing with the homeless. Some are trying to just move on. A lot have kids, their families, so the challenge is just getting bigger. Yeah, it is a challenging time. Were you at the state capitol, Marianne, when the bus came? No, I wasn't. Um, but where where uh, I, I fit into kind of what has been going on the last week is uh, at the Parade of Lights last Saturday night, um, my husband and I took the light rail because you don't drive downtown during Parade of Lights. You just know that. And I have to tell you, it was like a police it was like a police war zone uh, in front of the convention center. There was this this conference, um, and I didn't I don't really know that much about it, but it was a Jewish conference, and you had pro-Palestinian protesters uh, determined to shut that conference down, and they were out in force except during the Parade of Lights. Um, they apparently allowed us all to enjoy that evening, but it's it's become an interesting secondary conversation going on in politics. Uh, in in the in Denver and especially at the state capitol, and it's been kind of fascinating to watch how it has divided the Democratic Party, uh, but we'll get into more of that later. Mm -hmm. Jesse, so I think kind of focusing on the migrant issue, what which was fascinating, what was fascinating to see, was to see President Joe Biden in town last week, and he was greeted on the tarmac by Mayor Mike Johnson and Governor Jared Polis, and I kind of wonder what kind of conversations those those folks had, given that the mayor and the governor have been pushing the Biden administration to do more on the migrant crisis, help cities like Denver react to it. Uh, I saw um, Mayor Johnson at the, the president's fundraiser later that evening, and we don't really know what they, they talked about while, those, while they had those conversations, but according to a White House pool report, um, the mayor said that he talked to the president about his kids, which was interesting given the uh, migrant stuff that's going on and the, and the fact that they want to get an ear in with the Biden administration. So I'm curious to see kind of how those dynamics work out. Obviously, the homelessness issue and the migrant issue are kind of compounded. You know, they're different, but they have kind of intersectionalities. So, um, you know, how, how the how the state and the city ask for federal help, how they work together, I think will be kind of something to watch as the, as the new year begins. And, you know, every week now we've been talking about this story, but every week there's seems to be a different angle or a different development in terms of the housing of the homeless or the migrants coming in, Luigi. 
Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So here's what we know. The mayor promised to house a thousand, get a thousand people off of our streets and into transitional housing. That's not going to happen. He's not going to deliver that promise. He has about 300 plus people right now that his administration has transitioned out of the streets. That means about 700 that he needs to do between now and December 31st. So he will fail to deliver on that promise. There's no doubt about it. Um, and on top of that, we have this immigration crisis that's we've been dealing with that for a year now. And it's cost the state, I'm sorry, the city of Denver, $32 million so far. I think as of today, about 30,000 immigrants have arrived um, to the city of Denver. And it is a crisis that's spilling from the southern border that we are now having to deal with. And then Jesse, you know, I think raised the point about how the city and the state and the federal government interact. And the way they really interact is funding. The question is, will the city of Denver get funding help from the federal government? I don't see this problem going away anytime soon. I don't see the governor of Texas stopping sending uh, you know, immigrants to Denver. Okay, since we have our top political reporters in our state with us here at the table this week, let's talk about the rumblings and the movement we're seeing over the state legislature. I will start with you, Marianne. Well, uh, one of the interesting things last Friday, uh, State Representative Ruby Dixon, uh, who is a first-year lawmaker, announced that she was resigning, uh, and that resignation takes effect this month and because of the volatile and some, and I've heard lots of other folks refer to it as toxic uh, political environment at the state capitol. And the fact that we have a lawmaker who didn't last even a full year in the job uh, and tells you something about just how messy that situation in the Capitol has become. And, and this is primarily in the House where she, uh, she has been serving. Um, and, and it wasn't just in the special session. You can go back to the regular session, too, that ended back in May, where both sides were just going at it. And, and in a way where, you know, there's the old saying about uh, how, to be, how to disagree without being disagreeable. They can't do that in our legislature anymore, and certainly not in the state house. It, it has become a, a kind of a sad, a very sad situation. I've, I've been observing this for, for many years, and I've just never seen the level of animus that you're seeing both within the caucuses, both the Democrat and Republican caucuses, and then across the aisle. And I'm hoping um, to hear from the Speaker of the House about how she plans to address this, because this really is her shop, and it's her job to uh, kind of clamp down on this issue of decorum. And it'll be interesting to see when the session starts whether she actually takes those steps. Mm -hmm. Jesse. Yeah, and I think she's not the only one who's leaving, right? I mean, we saw Senate Majority Leader Dominic Moreno leave for a job at the city. Uh, State Representative David Ortiz mentioned that he's not going to run for re-election next year, and we had heard rumblings during kind of the off-season about a handful of other lawmakers were saying, I don't know if I want to run for re-election next year, which I think is kind of all a nod to the to the current 
state of affairs at the Capitol. Um, you know, we are going to see a record 28, I think it's a record 28 vacancy appointed lawmakers in the legislature come next year, which is a really big, um, a really big portion. It's almost a third of the legislature. So, you know, how, how that kind of functions, you know, seeing if there are other people who maybe leave in the middle of the session will be interesting. One thing that I'd note about Ruby Dixon's resignation that's kind of interesting is there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not it was tied to um, what happened during the special session, um, Representative Epps in the, in the gallery. Um, she hasn't talked to anybody as far as I know. She, has, she certainly hasn't returned my calls and texts, but she actually just endorsed Sean Camacho, who's running yes. against Epps. Uh, so she's leading the legislature, makes this endorsement. I think you can probably read the tea leaves there. Hmm. So now there's another vacancy committee. How quickly do they have to find a replacement for her? It no. oftentimes takes a few weeks, um, but it's a you know handful of Democratic insiders who are going to pick her replacement in this kind of Arapahoe County Greenwood Village Centennial District. Here we go again with another vacancy committee, Luigi. Well, that's going to happen pretty quickly because they'll have to make sure that they have somebody in there by the beginning of next year. Mm -hmm. Session starts next year. You know, I think Jesse and Marianne are both correct. Um, you know, I've been here two years and kind of watched that. Uh, if you want to call it the devolution of civility in that chamber especially in the House, um, last two years or so. I think, you know, on top of this place being built on the idea of conflict, like, so it, it is an idea that filters and vets really difficult issues. So it's conflict-driven to begin with. But on top of the Republican and Dem Democratic sort of natural process-driven conflict, you also have an expanded Democratic Party that's really split on some of these issues. And I think what we saw with the... Uh, uh, Representative Epps disrupting the House proceedings during a special session. I think illustrates that point to a lot of degree. And so the question really is, as Marianne pointed out, how the House Speaker will manage that place come next year. How does she ensure that this process-driven place goes back to that keyword process, which allows for all sides you know, to speak their mind and to vet difficult issues and to pass something? How does she make sure there's no disruption there? Or if there is a disruption there, is there going to be punishment, penalty, censure? Are we going to see any of those things? We'll see in January. We'll see. Or in gen next year. Yeah. You know, we have about four months to uh, see this process unfold. Mm -hmm. I want to bring up one point that I've been hammering on pretty much since the special session, which is the House has rules about these things. They have, they have a rule that says a House member cannot disrupt the proceedings of the House. And that is exactly what Representative Epps did. She literally shut down the House as they were trying to uh, debate on this bill. And, you know, uh, my question is, what, what do the rules mean if they're not enforced? Mm -hmm. Patty. And she, brought, she was shouting on something that was really not relevant to the discussion going on. But we have to look, it's not just Colorado. I mean, this is a microcosm of what's going on in Congress, where you have people who do not want to run again and who are very vehement about why they don't want to run again. Um, my Representative Dixon represents my mother's district, so I've paid more attention. And the shame here is she's exactly the kind of person you would like to see in a citizen legislature where she's got, she's got expertise in politics, she's got expertise in finance, you know, she cares about things, she's living in the suburbs, she's not urban, she's not rural, she's a good, she was a good person in the middle and it's a shame to lose her. And I hope we don't lose more people who are elected by the citizens for people who are appointed essentially or elected by small vacancy committees. Because to have 28 
vacancies appointed or elected, depending on how you want to place semantics, in the legislature is not representative. Well, there is that idea that voters would vote on whether or not we have elections, right? And not have this go towards the vacancy committee. Do you think that'll go somewhere? Will it go before voters next year? If this keeps happening, maybe so. I mean, you see Tim Hernandez will still say he was elected, but you're elected by a tiny little vacancy committee. Yeah. What do, when you guys are in the House, what do you think? I mean, the State House, do you think that'll actually happen? I don't. You don't? Um, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, Patty, oh. but but I, I don't think voters pay enough attention to, to this issue to, to really care about it. Okay. Okay. All right. In this second week of December, there is a lot of activity when it comes to next year's elections. This week alone, there was another hearing uh, where the judge heard arguments on two different uh, sides regarding former President Trump being on the primary ballot here in Colorado in March. Jesse, let's start with you. There's a lot of, you know, endorsements going around as well for various candidates. There's a lot. Yeah, I was in court yesterday. Somehow I had never been to a Colorado Supreme Court hearing, which was actually pretty fascinating and, and cool to kind of be part of that history. I think we'll see how that plays out. I think we're expecting a, a hearing early next week from, from the Colorado Supreme Court, and then this case is probably going to advance to the U.S. Supreme Court next pretty quickly. Um, but I think the justices were really split on the technical issues in this case, whether or not you know the, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, applies to presidents or not, uh, whether or not state courts have jurisdiction in this matter. Um, I don't. I didn't get a clear sense for how they were going to rule in it, but they had really interesting questions for the attorneys in the case. And just the history of this kind of parsing, parsing out the you know the historical attempt was really interesting. You know, having a debate in the Colorado Supreme Court about what Congress was trying to decide in the Reconstruction era was was just a really fascinating thing. So you know, I think all eyes will be on Colorado in this case. It's seen as one of the better options or better chances for opponents of the president to block him from appearing on the ballot. And if it's ruled that he shouldn't appear on on Colorado's primary ballot in March. And I think you could see some ripple effects in other states. So it, it's a big deal. It's going to be something that, that a lot of eyes are going to be on. Other states have ruled, though, that he can be on the ballot. From, it, it has failed yeah. in every other. Uh, the challenges have failed in every other part of the country. But Colorado's laws are a little different, and they, and they open up this, this challenge uh, hmm. a little better. Okay. All right. But the election is the voting for the primary is in March. So there's a lot that has to happen with, if it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court before then. Right. Okay. Luigi. Yeah, so, you know, t courts by their nature t tend to be conservative. And I don't mean politically conservative, but I mean technically conservative in the sense that they don't really like venturing out and be the first to explore, you know, some new areas if they don't really have to. And that's why we've seen, you know, Supreme Courts um, really narrow down their rulings, make sure that it's very specific. And often it's only to that case. So. I have no doubt this will be decided by the United States Supreme Court. Whatever happens, you know, the, as J Jesse mentioned, our justices appear to be pretty divided. Uh, some of them don't really want to venture, don't really want to go there, don't want to be the first. On the other hand, they seem to be uh, flummoxed by the arguments from the Trump's lawyers. And so, I, yeah, I think it will be fascinating. Whatever, whatever they need to do, they need to do it soon. Uh, the March um, presidential primary is coming up pretty quickly. Yep, and then the congressional primaries are at the end of June. That's right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and by the way, talking about the congressional uh, uh, races, there are two really big races in our state. And these two races might decide the composition of Congress and who gets to rule the House. Mm -hmm. 
Patty. Well, to go back to the Colorado Supreme Court hearing on Wednesday, first of all, one of the plaintiffs in the case is Krista Caper, who's frequently sitting here, a Republican who's been referred to as a Democratic henchman in Donald Trump's emails, which you have to love. And the arguments are fascinating because, of course, the plaintiffs appealed because the original Denver judge had just determined that Trump could indeed be on the primary ballot. And Jenna Griswold has to sign off on that ballot by January 5th for the March 5th primary. Mm -hmm. So time is of the essence. But P Trump's lawyers also appealed because they didn't like the judge, Sarah Warren, said that, yes, he did indeed incite the insurrection. So there was a lot of very specific January 6th testimony and also more uh, archaic 14th Amendment after the Civil War discussion. So we'll see which way the Supreme Court goes, but they were so erudite, I thought, in their questions. So you say a decision probably sometime next week? Well, and then to the Supreme Court, okay. probably so after that. Okay. So just in terms of the timeline, the yes. ballot has to be set in Colorado by January 5th, yes. and ballots start being sent out to military and overseas voters on January 20th. So oh. there's not really much wiggle room. It has mm. to move quite quickly. Yeah, Marianne. Um, I, I want to pivot a little bit to the congressional races and, and some of the things that are coming out in that. Um, today we heard that former State Senator Jerry Sonnenberg uh, has officially jumped into the CD4 race. He made that, he made that announcement on, um, on Thursday. Um, I, th I think he probably is the candidate to beat, or the one that everyone's going to be going after. He's got probably got the best name recognition of anyone who's already announced uh, for the seat. Um, and there's still, and we still anticipate lots of folks are going to get into this race. We, he is not going to be the last person who jumps in. Um, we're still hearing names like former state senator Tom Weens uh, might might be taking a jump at it. Um, there's lots of lots of interest uh, from him because that's Douglas County, which is the most populated county in the in that uh, CD4 district. So. Uh, but I, I think the CD4 race is going to be really entertaining to watch when you look at all the candidates on the Republican side. And frankly, this is a, Republic, this is a Republican's seat, and it's going to stay that way. Mm -hmm. With Ken Buck retiring, yeah. All right. On Wednesday of this week, Time Magazine chose Taylor Swift as their Person of the Year, saying Swift's accomplishments as uh, in culturally, uh, critically, commercially, you name it, they said too many things to recount, uh, but they said this year something shifted for her in terms of her effect on people. I saw you uh, shaking your head, Marianne, but first, what, but the task at hand, I want to ask you the panel, who would your Colorado person of the year be? Well, you know, every single time, or as much as I can, I, I, uh, I, I call out the garbage, garbage collection system in Denver. But I do want to give them kudos, and especially the garbage collectors. They are my person of the year. They go around, they make sure that we don't stink, that we are clean. So thank you to them. Okay. No, no runners up? Nope. Okay, they're number one. Okay. Patty. Wow. Well, you could go with Coach Prime because, of course, Sports Illustrated did. But I would have to say you cannot avoid Mike Johnston, who came out. He was not the front runner a year ago at this time. Now the mayor of Denver, which, according to Hickenlooper, who's been both mayor and governor, is the most powerful position in the state. And he is, Johnston is working hard to live up to his campaign promise to deal with the homelessness issue. Will he get 1,000 people off the street by January 1st? 
unlikely, but will he have a plan for how to move it forward and make sure those people stay in housing and have productive lives? We'll see. Okay. Marianne. I'm going to go for an obscure person that nobody's heard of to my, to my great disappointment. Um, this is a young man from Durango, Colorado, named Sepp Kuss. And he, has, he did something this year that no Coloradan in history has ever done, and that is to win one of cycling's three main grand tours. This is a, a young man who has played the lieutenant's role on his team, which is called Jumbo Visma. And he has made sure that his teammates are the ones standing at the top of the podiums in the Tour of Italy this year and the, the uh, Tour de France. Jumbo Visma absolutely dominated uh, professional cycling this year in a way that we've never seen before. But Sepp had the, finally got his chance, and we've all kind of been waiting and, you know, to see, see if he was going to get it. Got his chance, uh, and despite some drama within his team, won the Tour, the tour of Spain, known as the Vuelta a España, and there's been almost no attention to this. And, and this, is, this is really the story of sometimes good guys do finish first. He, he's very well liked. He's, he's very professional. Um, he's adored in Durango, of course. But congratulations to Sepp. You should be the person of the year. Well, I, that was all transpiring when Coach Prime was really getting a lot of attention. And yep. you shook your head when Patty said that, too. Is that why? Because you wanted him to get just as much attention as... No, and you'll find out why I, why I was shaking my head in a minute. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, Jesse, who do you think? Uh, Nikola Jokic is my person of the year. I think, you know, again, another athlete, a great Colorado. And I, I looked up his stats before the episode, 25 points a game, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, average in 2023, uh, MVP of the NBA Finals. Also just like a great, entertaining Colorado and a good guy. Everybody, he makes everyone laugh, um, kind of like, makes everyone feel good about themselves. So my runner-up is Michaela Schiffer, and also just an amazing athlete and great Colorado and good influence, you know, super impressive human being. Also something great for Colorado, the best world alpine skier of all time ever. Yep. Yeah, good picks. All right, very good. Now it is time for our panel to share what each has seen as a high and low of the week. We'll start on a low so that we can end on a good note tonight. Just the bad behavior of the elected officials. Unfortunately, it continues in the legislature. We hope we have seen the last of it at Denver Public Schools with the new board members sworn in. So far, so okay. Well, it's only been a few days. It's but okay. Still. We'll take it. How about you, Marianne? All right, all you CU fans, get, oh. get your, your axes and bows and arrows ready. Sports Illustrated for naming a 4-8 and eight football coach Sports Person of the Year. The... Uh, the uh, that just baffled me beyond beyond words. It, it's a team that finished 97th out of 133 Division I schools, and he's the sports person of the year. That's hype, and that's garbage. Sorry. Did you read the article? It talked about the impact it had on Boulder and admissions. Uh, and oh, I, I, yes, that's talking one. Talking about his that's, faith. And that, that's, that's all well and fine and good. But at the end of the day, sports. he isn't hired to do all those things. He's hired to win games, and yeah. they didn't do that. Yeah. This, the, the, he was a lot of talk. Or as the folks in, in agriculture say, all hat, no cattle. <laughs> all right, Jesse. Send your, send your complaints somewhere. <laughs> I'll pass them on to you. 
I'd say Ruby Dixon's resignation. Obviously, it was it was last week, but that's a pretty uh, that was a pretty big disappointment. Again, a first year state lawmaker, one of the younger people in the Capitol. Um, the reason why she resigned, you know, shame to kind of see that the vitriol and 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 toxic nature of the Capitol got to her. But then also, it's a big bummer for her constituents now who don't get to weigh in on who their uh, their lawmaker is going to be for the next year, since it's going to be a vacancy committee that chooses who serves that term. Whoever gets that job is going to have the power of incumbency coming in November. So it's just kind of sets up a whole new, um, it, it gives that person a, a, an advantage, whereas maybe, you know, the voters would have maybe liked to weigh in and, and had a, the broader electorate to have a say in who, who will replace her. Mm -hmm. Okay, Luigi. Yeah, unfortunately I have something that's very tragic and heartbreaking. Um, on Sunday, um, last Sunday, there was a terrorist attack on uh, a university in the Philippines. This is the university where I spent a year in, where I met my wife, where she graduated, where her sister, my sister-in-law, who now teaches at a school in Arizona, graduated. And um, the jihadists, according to the Filipino government, um, were the culprit. They bombed this place. Four people died. This is, they did it at a gymnasium where I used to perform because I was part of the theatrical group in, in that university. And it's just tragic and a, a, a reminder of how violent other places are, and also just a reminder that we are, and makes me grateful that I am here. Um, but as far as we know, there might be others that that number of dead uh, people who have died could grow. And you know, I have roots in this place, and so it's just heartbreaking. Too close to home, yeah, all right. Um, something positive, Patty. Well, we didn't get to this in the first uh, discussion, but downtown is not dead. If you go, if you were there last Saturday, you saw just how fun it was, how relatively safe it was compared to just about anywhere else. And there are new things coming up all the time. The old Rhinoceropolis, a notoriously cool DIY space, is reopening a squirm today. And there's a new EDM club at 22nd and Larimer. So things are happening. You can go downtown and be just as safe as you might be, say, in the airport parking lot. Do you go to EDM shows? <laughs> I have. Yeah? All right. Ooh. And then the Chris Kindle Market, and then the tree is still lit up. So there's still places to do, go. Even there are lots the, of places to go right now. Even if you miss the parade, there's lots going on downtown. Good. Uh, I want to give a congratulations to Rick Salinger, who announced he's retiring. Um, due to health reasons, uh, he has had an illustrious career in the Denver market. Uh, with CBS4, and congratulations, Rick, on your wonderful years of accomplishment, and best wishes for your uh, for your health to improve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jesse. Cheers to Rick. Always yeah. a, a good guy to see on assignment. Um, positive thing: the Calder Sun completed its transition to become a nonprofit. So we're really excited about that. It's kind of a new future for us, and uh, we're excited about what that means for for our company. And you are part of Colorado Gives Day. Yeah. We yeah. Were. Very good. First time. All right, Luigi. Jesse, congratulations. Thank you. I was out uh, walking our dog last night, and for the first time I saw the Christmas light. Actually, it was a reflector reflecting against the tree, our neighbor's tree, and I looked it up against the stars, and I just felt this tingle, and I felt really happy. We're well into the Christmas season, mm -hmm. and it feels good. All right, it does. And for me, I'd like to send out a happy Hanukkah to all of those who celebrate. We wish you a season of light and of hope. No matter how, thing, how dark things can get or murky, there is always light and there is always hope out there. We just have to look for it. And the Festival of Lights really couldn't come at a better time. Thanks to our panel. Thanks to you all for watching us this evening or listening to our podcast. Uh, we will see you next week here on PBS 12. Take good care.